Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of the Florida K Podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about the mid-2022 Florida K plan sponsor changes, kind of an update. Talk about the issues that are really um, coming up about uh, in the retirement plan space and how that would affect Florida K plan sponsors. Of course, first things first, at Florida K Conference, uh, listening to it now, uh, you know, uh, as... The morning drops. We're having our event in Miami. Uh, I'd love to say how great it was, but you know, I can't talk about something that hasn't happened yet. But uh, we will be in Seattle, September the 9th. Uh, great uh, ballpark, T-Mobile Park. To me, will always be Safeco Field. Seattle Mariners will have Mariners Braves tickets. Uh, go to that 4ksite.com for further information. We'll be booking shortly our event in Charlotte for November. Then, you know, we'll wait for August or September to get the 2023 MLB schedule and probably pick, you know, about four dates next year for stadiums we haven't been to. I'm looking at you, Detroit, uh, Milwaukee. may go back down to Texas. Um, Arlington opened up. Uh, and we'll see what we do with California. Um Unfortunately, pricing is going to keep us out of um, Oracle Park in San Francisco and uh, some costly uh, you know, digs in um, San Diego. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll do an event in Anaheim. And uh, since it's going to be 2023, uh, that means that uh, we haven't had an event in the New York area for over three years now. And so, therefore... We're going to have to, you know, trot on to, you know, maybe Yankee Stadium or go back to City Field. We'll see what happens. But, of course, go to that foreignkingsite.com for information. Seattle, 100 bucks gets you in. Uh, you know, game ticket if you want to go, stadium tour, all that kind of stuff. Meet and greet, five hours of great 4 k content and, 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 and all that great stuff. But let's get to the issue. Uh, number one, um... Plain restatement deadline is July 31st. Uh, just this week, I uh, just this past week, I met a TPA who uh, I've done a lot of business with over the years, known for quite some time. And he said, "Oh, by the way, I got these restatements to do." He gave me a list of 25 restatements. Now we're five weeks away from the deadline of July 31st, 2022, and I have yet to get the foreign key plan. So, in the month of Ju- July, uh, if you uh, want to know where I am. You'll know I'm restating plain documents. Um, my favorite law school professor was a guy, uh, he's still around, but he's retired, uh, Bernie Core, John B. Core, uh, B, I guess, for Bernard. He was just hilarious. Took, took him for Civ Pro, and I want to say two bankruptcy classes, or maybe maybe I'm confused. Maybe I think it's Civ Pro, Conflicts of Laws, and Bankruptcy, Advanced Bankruptcy Class. Because uh, I don't think I take, you know, it's, it's funny, you remember who you had for, you know, high school Latin, but you may not remember who you had for law school. But I knew I had him for at least a couple courses. I want to say it was three. Um, and I did take him, I believe, for advanced bankruptcy. I don't believe I took him for regular bankruptcy, which was a great subject. I always loved bankruptcy class. Um, but I remember him saying to us in advanced bankruptcy class, um, he joked and he said, you know, the reason that uh, we update the bankruptcy code every few years is because we want to give bankruptcy attorneys some work. Now, I think people would say, well, you know, 
IRS requires plans to restate every six years. And, you know, we got to give ERISA attorneys something to do. But, of course, you know, in this business, uh, a lot of times it's not an ERISA attorney who drafts your plan document. It could be paralegal. It could be a qualified, you know, pension administrator, a qualified 401k administrator. Someone with, obviously, some knowledge. I'm not saying only ERISA attorneys could uh, draft plan documents because, uh, you know, I remember at Geller, I replaced an ERISA attorney who did not know what he was doing. Uh, talking out of school, he would draft, um, let's go back to 2002 I started there. I replaced him uh, talking out of school again because that's all I do. Um, he had a he had a great run where he got a percentage of the billings. So he was making, I think, 30% of the billings and whatnot. And there were years he was making 300 grand or whatnot. I replaced him, and, uh, you know, the uh, guy in charge realized, hey, why am I paying this guy 300 when I can pay this younger guy, you know, a lot less? And when I say a lot less, uh, I never, I, I don't, I, at the, that point, I didn't even come to a third of the 300, so you'll see what happens. But anyway, uh, talking out of school, he would draft Safe Harbor Plane Design with a thousand hours and or last day. You can't do that, my friends. Uh, you can't preface um, Safe Harbor non-elected contributions thousand hours last day and or last day. It's just you can't. <laughs> that that was that was in the rules from the get go when they announced uh, Safe Harbor plan design, and I want to say that was notice ninety-eight fifty-two, and I, I could be wrong at it. But uh, you know, I don't I don't have the uh, I don't have Google right in front of me. I'm recording a podcast, but yeah, he he didn't know what he was doing. But anyway. Um, obviously qualified plans have to operate according to the terms. Uh, we have a restatement process. It's in the code. Plans have to be restated. Um, and right now, you know, IRS guidelines is, is we have this restatement process every six years, which I kind of like. I like the fact that it's predicated, you know, when I started in the business, the gust updates were going to be a thing. Um, my boss at the time was starting to restate Gust documents, even though we really didn't have a full Gust letter, but he wanted the revenue. But anyway, Gust, if you if I recall, that process was like kind of like from ninety nine until two thousand three, and then you know we we started a process where you know every six years we know that we have to restate the plain document. But what's kind of funny is that this current cycle three restatement and cult cycle three because it's the third restatement um, under the six-year schedule and we don't have a retirement plan law that is so profound that we needed to have that. What was interesting uh, is that it takes into account only changes through the last restatement process, which was PPA. So that was April 30th, 2016. So that means we're going through, you know, we're, we're going backwards. Uh, a lot of the changes, like Secure Act and Hardship and all that, are for changes that happened after the fact. Uh, and so, therefore, they're not covered in the Cycle 3. And, uh, you know, it, it's a requirement, and it's mandatory. And quite honestly, uh, there are a lot of plans out there that still haven't restated. And um, as we record, you know, we're five weeks away. As this episode drops, we're five weeks away. And, um, 
it, it's, a, it's a problem. And obviously, if a plan doesn't uh, restate uh, quickly uh, on time, uh, they have a qualification problem, and they're going to have to you know, correct it through the uh, employee, uh, employee plan uh, compliance system, uh, voluntary compliance program. They may get a, uh, I'm sure they're going to get a discount if they do it you know, pretty close after the July 31st deadline. And then outside of that, they have a huge problem. So obviously, you know, if you know plans, they want to um, cost-effective restatement, you know where I am. Uh, and uh, I think it's important to have it done. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. Next on the list, on the hit list, obviously I've talked about it a few weeks back, cryptocurrency within a 401k plan. It's me. Um, as a school bus, as the, I'm recording outside today, so the kindergarten bus from the ocean side is uh, making its way down Fulton Avenue uh, to pick up kids. Um, it's a crack of nine o'clock usually. So, anyway, I started this 401k plan business, and, and talk about cryptocurrency. I started this plan, 401k plan business in 1998. And in those days, everybody wanted to get into a technology fund. I mean, I, I remember the Seligmic Technology Fund, the Janus Funds, these Janus, Janus 20, Janus Mercury from 98, 99, 2000. Anything that had technology, the stock, you know, the stocks were crazy. And, and we used to have a running joke, uh, 1-800-Flowers, which was a very well-known Long Island business. Their headquarters, I still want to say, are on Old Country Road in Mineola. One Old Country Road in Mineola. I think they're still there. They changed their name to 1-800-Flowers.com. They went public and the stock went crazy and whatnot. And then, of course, uh, if you know a little bit about history, was that, um, needless to say, uh, 2000 uh, through 2002 was kind of like a bloodletting, uh, the dot bomb era, as I call it. Everybody, all these internet stocks with high valuations cratered, um, and obviously most of them did survive. Uh, you know, uh, I always talk about investments and, and how I'm um, not really good at it. Uh, but one of my big failings is I remember seeing Amazon at 16 bucks a share and not pulling the trigger. Uh, it's not something I want to admit to, but that, that's life, and I'm sure I could have picked Apple for a song as well. But um, it is what it is. But, you know, chasing returns, uh, and that's what people would do, especially with technology. I, I remember the first time... I invested in a mutual fund. Um, it was a Kaufman fund, which uh, I think uh, I forget who took it over. I don't want. I don't think it was an American fund. Somebody took it over. Federated. Federated took it over. Federated funds took it over. I don't even know if Federated funds is still a thing anymore. But um, I think Federated is still a thing anymore. But anyway, Federated funds. I, I, I of course, as a as a nineteen year old, I invested in Kaufman after they had this like stupendous return um, in 1990 and, and you know the problem is non-sophisticated investors always like to chase things uh, when something runs up they chase they buy at the height of the market and then they see it you know 
go down and crater. And my great-grandmother, may she rest in peace, never met the woman, unfortunately. Uh, she uh, died in Auschwitz. Uh, but anyway, uh, she told my grandmother, don't run after the carriage if it's not going to pick you up. And uh, I think that's one of the great sayings of my life. Uh, it can mean so many different things. Um, and uh, I still hold that. And you can probably take it to investments. Uh, when something has great returns, um, like Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, I think, a perfect example of that. Everybody started to get into Bitcoin once they saw it was going from like, you know, 11 or 16,000 to 60,000. They bought at the height of the market. They bought at 16, 60, I'm sorry, 69, I think, was the, the highest. And they see it go all the way down. Now, a lot of providers, uh, when Bitcoin was at 60,000 or, or 50,000 and whatnot, they thought, hey, you know, maybe it's a great idea if we offer this opportunity within 4K plans. Because, you know, there are providers out there that offer it within a self-directed IRA. Um, that was great uh, when Bitcoin was, you know, 50-something thousand dollars. You know, it, it takes time to develop a, a program to, um, you know, draft contracts, uh, find who, you know, will be holding the crypto wallet and whatnot. So it took a lot of time for them to come to market. Only problem was the Department of Labor put out a bulletin out there that, uh, you know, it's not really a good idea. Uh, you know, they, uh, you know, they, 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 the DOL pretty much put down the hammer. They kind of warned plan sponsors that they uh, would conduct investigations of plan sponsors that may offer it within an ERISA plan. Um and, you know, a few days later, Fidelity said, hey, we're, we're coming to the market with this, and we're going to talk to the Department of Labor. And then another provider for us all, I think it was, um, started suing, uh, decided to sue the DOL, saying that the DOL's uh, bulletin uh, was not, was, was done arbitrarily capricious. And, um, you know, people will laugh at it, um, that they took them to, Litigation, I don't think, from what I remember of administrative law, I don't think they have a, a standing on it because I don't think that the DOL's bulletin, which doesn't have the weight of regulation, is something that, uh, you know, is, is going to stand. I, I don't think the decision was arbitrarily capricious. But again, I'm not in the court. Uh, I stand on the sidelines. I'm not a litigator. But I just don't think that uh, they have a leg to stand on. But maybe they think that this is a way to sway the DOL's opinion. To take a second look at their bulletin um, and, and maybe change. And again, when you're a plan provider and you spend so much time to come to a market, you're not going to let this little thing of a DOL advisory um, bulletin to, uh, you know, tell you you can't do it. And... Um, I think when I wrote this article, it was like, you know, 20-something thousand a coin, a Bitcoin. And a few days back, it was like 18 and change. I bought a little bit of a, a little bit of some, and I have a buddy who's a big crypto guy, and he's warning people about that it may go down to 13. So I'm kind of parking, you know, myself some money on the sidelines to see where it's going to go. So again, I'm a crypto investor. 
And quite honestly, I think offering crypto is the worst idea right now. Why is it the worst idea? It's unregulated. Um, we know that with crypto wallets, they are susceptible to theft a lot easier than, you know, stealing from Fidelity uh, as custodian, therefore in K-Plan. Um, and I think that taking a volatile investment as crypto and putting it in the hands of the most unsophisticated investors, which are planned participants, it's just a bad idea. And why do I say that? I worked in the retirement plan space for 25, almost 26 years, 26 years in September. Uh, what am I saying? I'm 24 years in the business. I can't even add anymore. But um, what I'm saying is, is dealing with plan participants, plan sponsors, plan participants are not very sophisticated. You know, I worked at a law firm where a guy who worked uh, in the office said, oh, you know, uh, I put 100% of my money in a mid-cap fund because that's the middle of the market. These are the people you're dealing with. And he was he was a college graduate. Um, and that's not attacking people who are not college graduates because I know quite a few college graduates are morons and quite a few um, high school graduates only who could have probably, you know, been an attorney. But for the most part, plant participants are just unsophisticated. Um, they are not rational. They don't understand buy and hold investing. Um, even my, you know, even my relatives who, again, got master's degrees, when it comes to investing, they have no knowledge. They're, uh, anytime the market goes south, oh, we got to sell. We got to, you know, as I always say, we have to lock in our losses. And when you, you know, have a situation of crypto, you will have participants who will, you know, I, I know those windows will only allow you to invest 20% of your money in, it, in in crypto, and I think 20% is too much, especially since now it's unregulated, it's very volatile. People will buy high, and once they see it go south, they will sell low. And if you look at the history of Bitcoin, it's not exactly a, a great investment. I mean, there are times where it does lose 80% of its value, where there are crashes. It has happened before, and it's happening now. Uh, do I see crypto going back up to 60 yeah, I, I do, but it could also go to zero. Um, I'm willing to lose that money, whatever I have in crypto. It's, it's, it's a good portion of my portfolio, but it's not it's not going to make or break me. And the plan, problem with plant participants is, you know, they make irrational decisions, and it comes back to, to haunt them. And so I don't see – I see no upside for offering it, even if the DOL would allow it tomorrow. Um, you know, again, if the – I understand the Department of Labor has a compliance assistant opinion, and that's not the weight of a regulation. But when Jerry Schlichter, who's, you know, people say he's a piranha when it comes to risk litigation, he, he said, you know, listen, uh, any plan sponsor offering it is at risk for litigation. So I don't expect what Fidelity's offering that, you know, ExxonMobil is going to sign up for it. I don't think Microsoft is going to sign up for it. I don't think that Amazon is going to sign up for it because um, they would be immediate targets. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, I think, you know, like E.F. Hutton, when the DOL talks, people should listen. Um, next but not least, uh, the IRS has announced a, a pilot pre-audit correction program, which I'm a big fan of. Um, apparently now... You know, the last 24 years, uh, the 
turnover service at the Department of Labor have been more pro-plant-sponsor friendly in terms of correcting problems. Um, they're pushing plant sponsors to identify errors, self-correct, and avoid costlier penalties by partaking in programs. Perfect example, the DFVCP for anybody who's got a late 5500. It's quite better to pay a couple thousand dollars in, in late 5500 fees than to get the hammer of a hundred thousand dollars in late 5500 fees especially so you know DOL made the program easier more accessible and of course as a result they increased their delinquent penalty to something like twenty four hundred dollars a day uh, the problem with the these compliance programs is if you're under audit you were you know out of it you, you were at the mercy of the auditor. So once you were targeted for a DOL or IRS audit plans, you know, you discover the errors, uh, you're out of luck. Whereas, you know, of course, with my profanity, to quote Dirty Harry in the Deadpool, you know, you'd be shit out of luck. And that's that's a problem, you know, because it was always the audit where you, you found the errors. Audit or change of TPAs when all of a sudden, wow, you, you found these errors. That have to be corrected. So the IRS has now done a pilot program where uh, they will let plan sponsors know that they are targeted for plan audit and have 90 days to review their plans documents and day-to-day -day operation to make corrections. If the plan sponsor doesn't respond, the plan will be audited and, and that will be. Uh, if the plan decides to correct, they can use the self-correction program or the voluntary compliance program and fix it. Then they will be audited and the IRS agent will either agree or disagree with the changes. Um, I think that this is a great thing. Uh, I, I think it's a great thing because it gives the plan sponsors the opportunity to, you know what, I've been targeted for an audit. Let me see what uh, are the glaring pro problems. Let me work on my TPA. Let me work on the risk attorney. Let's see what the problems are. Um, you know, I hate surprises. Uh, two kids. Uh, I didn't want to wait to see. You know, with with an amnio there, I, I needed to know what they were, boy or girl. I mean, it's one or the other. I I don't need to be an old timer and you know like the surprise. I don't like surprises. And uh, you know, if I was a plan sponsor and I was given ninety days, uh, I'd want to fix the problems too. I want to identify anything that's out there. And of course, you will see plan sponsors not do this. With this pilot program, plan sponsors will wait till the 88th day to, to look at the plan or, or something else along the lines. And, and that's that's obviously a huge problem. So, you know, I think it's important to, um, you know, if you're given this opportunity to take advantage of it, and hopefully most plan sponsors will do that. Um, it makes sense to me. But again, uh, sometimes uh, that doesn't work out for plant sponsors. They don't want to think. Um, last but not least, uh, DOL talk about climate change. They're looking into it. Uh, they're asking uh, the impact that climate change would have on investment returns. It's probably something to do with, you know, it's just the Biden administration's take on it climate change, big issue. Uh, to me, I kind of lump it with ESG funds and, you know, the Biden administration's uh, allowance 
of ESG investing rather than the Trump administration's view that we should uh, you know, look at more important things like investment return and the problems that ESG funds don't have, the investment returns, maybe non-ESG investments. Um, so they have a you know, question for comments, 20 questions about the effect of climate change on retirement plans and, uh, and the investments. Uh, it's going to be interesting what they come up with, and of course, um, that change, uh, if we have any impact on climate change and investments and whatnot, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, this is one change that is um, obviously politically uh, an issue, and you know, it's 2022, we have a presidential election in 2024, uh, Biden may not run again. Uh, if Biden does run again, he may be defeated. As it stands right now, he would be defeated. But uh, as, as somebody who is, you know, again, heavily involved in politics, I will say that two years is a lifetime in politics. So the people who are writing the epitaph on Biden's political grave forget history. And uh, while I'm sure Biden's party will get their clock cleaned for the midterm elections, because that's just history, um, you know, I was in law school at the time in the 1994 congressional midterms where it was political tsunami and uh, Republicans took control of both houses of Congress for the first time in 40 some odd years. Everybody wrote off Bill Clinton is dead. And what happened? Bill Clinton easily won re-election in 1996. So again, I, I think this climate change kind of jargon and, and, and questions and whatnot this is an interesting uh, topic, and uh, it will be interesting how the next couple of years plan out, especially if he is going to run again, and if not, if he is defeated, or if he doesn't run again, if the Republicans take back the White House, we'll see what kind of impact that will have. And of course, uh, that concludes this episode of the 4 k Podcast. Uh, go to that 4 com for further information on all our events. Seattle, September the 9th. Charlotte sometime in November. And again, uh, we hope um, you enjoy this episode and back for more episodes of that 4K podcast.